electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Yes, it does. And right now on Fast Money, market whiplash from Thursday's rip your face off rally to the Friday fade to today's big bounce. Should you brace for even more volatile days ahead? In China, Xi cements control. His grip, absolute. The next few years may mean it's a don't touch market. We'll explain why. And later on, a new record in the U.S. oil patch. Sort of. A bullish day for banks. Roblox's meta-sized move. And Netflix streaming higher ahead of earnings. Hello, everybody. I'm not Melissa Lee. I am Brian Sullivan. Melissa has tonight and tomorrow night off. Welcome. This is Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market side. And on your desk tonight, we've got Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, Dan Nathan, and Guy Adami. Let us begin at the beginning with a major rally on Wall Street. The NASDAQ surging nearly 3.5% today. And that move, my friends, brings the NASDAQ back to positive for the month. Huh. For the NASDAQ 100, it was the best day since July. The S&P 500 up more than 2.5% as longtime bear Mike Wilson of Morgan Stanley now says the index could see a bear market bounce that takes it back above 4,000. And take a look at the moves in big cap tech. Amazon jumping more than 6% and adding almost $70 billion to its market cap today. What will Jeff Bezos buy? It's now 12% above its June lows. And does today's Monday surge suggest the bottom may be finally in with stocks? We've got a lot to talk about. Is that your piece all right, Dan? We're all on camera. <laughs> oh, sorry. We're doing, it's all right. We're doing one of these things. It's all good. Let's, we do, do, a TV show Let's do a lot. I don't know where Guy Adami is in some bunker so somewhere, but I'm going to start with him. Uh, Guy, <laughs> let's play uh, Dealer's Choice, shall we? Joker's Wild. What was that I game back from the Joker's Wild. Oh, no whammies. Joker. I just conflated oh, shows. <laughs> um, if you had to sort of pin down what's going on, sort of a bear market bounce, the U.K. maybe flip-flopping what they're doing. I doubt it was Mike Wilson, but maybe it was Brian Wilson. Who knows? What would be the rationale if you had to point to one thing as to why we've got this big change in a couple of trading sessions? Pet Sounds is one of the most overrated albums of all time. I'm just going to put that out there, number one. Oh, come on. Number two, Start I think a that. lot of it was – well, no, well, it's just – you know, he man. mentioned Brian Wilson. So. I, think some, I think a lot of it is Mike Wilson. Listen, Mike Wilson has been – early but he's been right as well so when he makes a call like that you have to take notice i think part of it is what's going on in the uk without question there seems to be some coming to the senses maybe we've assuaged some concerns there and i think it's just a confluence of events i'll say this this looks uh remarkably like the middle of june of this year when we went on at basically an 18 percent rally from i think the 16th of june till middle of august now I don't think we're going to see an 18% rally, but I do think this is going to be one of those classic bear market rallies that has a lot of people scratching their head. But to answer the earlier part of your question, by no means do I think we're out of the woods. Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting thing, Tim, to compare it to the summer because we, we forget we had that big summer rally. I mean, it was, hey, all systems go. Suddenly that thing turned. August hit. Stocks turned back down. 
Is this, the, is this a real turn or just kind of the same thing to Guy's point as June was? Well, come on. I mean, a terrible positioning, terrible sentiment, a, a dynamic here where you got a reversal in the U.K. By the way, people who, who didn't think that central banks were uh, not still in charge, they're still in charge. And, and let's be clear, that turnaround in the U.K. has a lot to do with uh, a policy war internally. The dollar reversed. Maybe the dollar put in a double top. Uh, again, the U.K. may have been that blow off top that you were looking for. But but is this the, the buildup? We're, we're 10 weeks from Christmas, folks. Is this the beginning of our seasonal rally? Well, you talk about those June lows. We've been comparing market levels to the June lows. We've been thrashing around this 3,600 down to 3,490 and change. And we're at that long term support level, which is the 200-week average. And depending how you want to look at it, we haven't really broken through yet. There's a lot of people feel this is the kind of support. And if you get some relief on the dollar, these are the dynamics. We've also had bank earnings, which I know we're going to spend some time on. So I'll just say that uh, the, the, the consumer is not dead yet. And if you think about where we are sentiment and positioning, that has everything to do with this has been one of the greatest traders markets of all time this year. I realize that's easy to say in hindsight, but I, yeah, I've said it so many times in terms of all these big moves we've had on the S&P. I think we're in another one of those moves. Dan? God only knows. Guilty? (laughs) Guilty as charged? Is this the U.K. turn market? Clearly today. I mean, like the way we closed Friday afternoon, that was about as nasty as any of us could have expected. Because, you know, if you think about over the last couple of weeks, we've had a couple of decent rallies um, off of lows. Remember two weeks ago, that Monday, Tuesday, 5% rally off of a new 52-week low gave it all back here. So um, when you think about how we closed Friday after how we opened with some of those bank earnings, that really felt like it had the potential to follow through. I think Tim is totally spot on. When you think about how poor sentiment is and how nervous people are, you saw some of that data about retail options buying last week. New opening trades, three times puts to that of calls. It tells you how nervous people were. I was doing that relative to stocks that I was long. It just didn't feel particularly healthy. That being said, we have the 10-year U.S. Treasury yield closing above 4%. Tim says maybe the, the dollar made a double top. Maybe it did, but we're going to get into earnings really soon here. And when we think about where the dollar is quarter over quarter, when a lot of these U.S. multinationals last guided late July, early August, the dollar's up 5%, okay? And I don't think any of these C-level suites have the sort of data to project where they think the dollar is going to be relative to the uncertainty of their businesses. I think that's going to be really important. So to me, you know, all this grinding at 52-week lows tells me that we're going to move, like, sharply one way or the other. I just obviously don't know. But if you think about it, most rallies have been sold since we had those August highs. It's going to take some sort of fundamental shift, I think, to have a sustainable rally from here. Wouldn't it be nice if this were the bottom? But I don't think it is. God only knows. I I think that this this is the beginning of a nice rally, I think. I mean, the positioning Friday afternoon, I think people were really pretty bearish. And so that's set up for kind of, you know, uh, a little bit of... um, a little bit of a bounce without much to sell into it. So this was a really nice move. I do think the banks matter on there. We'll, we'll get to that more. I'm not really sure what has changed. I thought some of the rhetoric over the weekend from China would actually be received fairly negatively. That didn't seem to be the case, but. Well, I mean, I, I don't want to go to like the UK bond market stuff, which nobody that got helps. my guilty as charged. You didn't like, I mean, I got no. Sometimes we just I got just for that, Brian. I didn't know. Sometimes, sometimes I'm not, I'm never just, coming back to the show. Um, is it, I mean, go. I guess it, what UK you, matters. That, that's right. To you, and I'll answer your question. Thank you very much for having me on, Karen, <laughs> which is um, the UK, at least right now, hasn't imploded. I mean, and that was they're talking about the pension system melting down. So maybe removing that fear has helped. 
Well, go ahead. I, 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 you know, again, the, the, U, the UK's, uh, the Bank of England basically said, don't worry, baby, everything will be all right. And that's exactly what it was. They gave their banks till Friday to clean up some of the balance sheet dynamics. They turned the currency around. The, the, the British pound has rallied over 10 percent in about three weeks. And, and the policy error and the fear of that around the world has had as much to do with the last 5 to 10% move lower in the S&P. And it's around the Fed, of course, but it's other central banks, too, who are now pressing the price. Then you've got the BOJ, who doesn't even sniff out any inflation, and you can see the yen moving to stratospheric, really, well, uh, numeric, but actual great lows against the dollar. This is the dynamic that we're in, and I just, um, I think markets get a place to to, to take a breath here. Well, then it's isn't it annoying, Guy Adami, that we're, we're, the market and people's, people's investments are being sort of held hostage by a group of pretty much unelected technocrats in D.C. and London and Tokyo who there's no – what did Mohammed El-Arian tweet tonight? That basically, we need an independent Fed, but there's no accountability here. They can screw everything up and nobody can do anything except maybe they lose their jobs before their term ends. I mean, it's a tough way to have a stock market that's supposed to be about value and earnings and cash flow, right? You're teeing the ball up for me, so oh, allow me to pull my driver out and hit it about 350. What you speak of is true. I will say those same investors were being held hostage for the 13 years prior when, you know, unless you're talking about the fall of 2018 or those few months of COVID, the market did nothing but go higher. And nobody seemed to care then when the market was going higher, being held hostage by the same people that you speak. So when it goes lower, everybody now wants to sort of blame them. But when it's going higher, they're all geniuses. They're the same group of people, by the way, that have made mistakes all along the way. We're just paying for it now. And to your point about unelected officials with no accountability, 100 percent. A hundo is the well, kid say. I've been saying that for years. I want to make sure that I'm not offering up my doubt. Muhammad Alarian tweeted that out, I don't know, like an hour ago. So it's not some ding dong Internet dude like me that's saying it. It's Muhammad Alarian who's saying these people are basically they screwed it up and there's nothing we can do. And now to your point, we got to kind of live with their with their fallout. So what is the fallout, though? Yeah. I mean, when you think about it, right, but, but hold on, Guy. I mean, when you think about it right here, we have the S&P that's down 22%. We have housing market, which just literally went parabolic a year and a half ago. That's cooling off a little bit. We have an unemployment that is still near 40-year lows that hasn't really ticked up. I mean, what's the big problem here? We have risk assets that have cooled off. You know, the Rolexes that were trading the aftermarket at two times retail, they've come in. So I, I guess my point is, it's like the S&P was up 28% last year, people. So it's down 22%. We're still here. You know what I mean? I agree. We're up 40 percent in the past five years. Your point is well taken. But I wonder it's the adrenaline shot, I think, probably lured a lot of people in. Right. That's what they do. What adrenaline shot? Just of all the the fiscal and monetary monetary stimulus got a lot. A lot of people that weren't professional investors, newbies, right, got crushed, probably. Yeah, I, I just think we're at a place here where markets haven't had a chance to, to, to digest because they haven't had a chance to see in the earnings reports, which we may get in the third quarter, we maybe not get, maybe don't get them till the fourth quarter, the impact of where three to 400 basis points of Fed rate hikes almost overnight have their impact. The consumer's fine right now. Let's be, let's be really clear. There's nothing wrong with the consumer. So we're playing for where are we going to be in 23? And people that are talking about a recession are not talking about one or two quarters in most cases. They're talking about four, five, six quarters 
quarters in succession, which we haven't even started yet, really. So um, for the markets, which discount and are discounting mechanism, you have opportunities to change these enormous sentiment dynamics. And I think that's what we're going to continue to get. Yeah. I don't think we're getting the reality check until we get into 23. All right. Let's bring in a guest who has been waiting patiently through all this, probably <laughs> champing at the bit. It is. I believe it is champing, not chomping. People chomping. say chomping, but it's oh. champing. Yeah. Uh, Chris Harvey, Wells Fargo. So. Chris, thank you. You heard our discussion. I'm not going to ask you to slam the Fed or agree with the Fed. But no matter how good earnings may come in over the next couple of weeks, how good the guidance is, will the Fed still matter more? Or have we gotten to the point where now everybody knows what the Fed's going to do? Earnings will make or break this market. Yeah, I don't think earnings make or break the market. What earnings do is they call, uh, they start a rally. And, and it's just a trading rally. As you pointed out before, it's a, it's a rent not own type situation. What the Fed does is the market doesn't stop going down or we don't make a bottom until something breaks in the capital markets and the Fed pivots. Or earnings come down not 2, 3, 4, 5%, but 10%. So we're still just sitting in front of things that, that are, are yet to unfold. And what we're looking at is just the cost of capital has gone higher. Fundamentals are still okay, they'll get worse, and that's the problem what do you that mean we're looking at. Until something breaks. Well, if you look over, you talked about the UK. If you look over the UK, it looked like the pound was going to break, it looked like things, the euro is also down. Right? It could be a collapse of a currency. It could be a collapse of sentiment. It could be something in, um, in the Ukraine. What about Anything. just inflation going down? Inflation, I, I think inflation is going down. And I think if you were ever going to use a transitory word, you would use it right here, right now. A year ago, we were saying, I've never seen prices as high as this. People were coming in and demand twice as high. People were raising prices 5, 10, 15%. And people were saying, I'll take two, I'll take three. Now they're saying, whoa, wait a minute. I'm not going to pay that for that, right? And so now's the time where inflation does come down. What I think we need to worry about more is why are we stuck on this 2% inflation rate? Is three or four, as long as it's stable, is that the right rate? And maybe that is, but I'm not sure we're going to have that conversation just yet. I, but if you think about inflation and goods inflation and then the services side of the inflation, if we, we say all the time that we need to see unemployment and whatever that level is, that the Fed isn't going to say it outright, but it's probably north of 5 percent. Um, you know, that's really the inflation to worry about, isn't it? Because this yeah. is a consumer that at this point is making more money and in some sense is able to, to ride out this storm. Right. I, I think it, it's a difference between the inflation the Fed sees and the inflation that, that you and I see. Right. The Fed sees something. Hey, CPI isn't cracking. CPI is plateauing around six percent. We need to get it down. We need our credibility back. We have to get it down. But when you and I look at things, what you see is a situation where the underlying fundamentals are starting to roll over, that the things that are going to pull down inflation are rolling over, whether it's interest rates, whether it's demand, whether it's the supply chain. So at the end of the day, inflation is going to come down. How quickly is a big question. And the way the Fed reacts to it is more important. So, Chris, when you think about what Brian was just saying before, you know, like like people got lured in, they were buying things, whether it was crypto or NFTs or SPACs. I mean, the list goes on and on or or unprofitable tech companies that have recently gone public. You know, a lot of the air has come out of that. I think we can all agree that that trade is kind of done. And when we're talking about the broader markets, you look at the S&P 500 and you say down 22 percent. That's not so bad. Do you think of the market as a monolith, as as equities across different spectrums? Um, Like, is there a way that if the average decline in the S&P 500 in the post-World uh, uh, world, uh, War era was about 35% during a recession, let's say we are in a recession at right. some point, um, do we have to go down 35%? Um, the answer is no, we don't have to go down 20, uh, 10, 15, 5%. Well, but 
until the Fed pivots, what, what's happening now? The cost of capital is going higher. So there's a duration trade. That's pushing prices down. That's, excuse me, that's pushing stock prices mm-hmm. down. More importantly, we haven't gotten to the fundamentals rolling over. Now the fundamentals have to roll over. I think we are going into recession. I think numbers do have to come down. Until that occurs, we're, we're not going to wash things out. Can you make money? Yes, you can make money renting things, not owning things. Can you make money what in are we rent, What are we renting then? So one of the things we've been talking about and talking about to our clients is, is momentum. Now, it's nothing exciting, it's nothing really sophisticated, but it's things that are working. Stocks that are working, sectors that are working will continue to work. What you want to do is you also want to avoid things that are broken. You don't want to go bottom fishing, you don't want to be a contrarian, you're not getting paid for it. And you just have to have this very simple approach. Chart looks good, chart looks bad. I know it sounds really simple. Oil and gas looks good. Oil and gas does look good. And that's if you look at the momentum index, oil and gas is a big part of the momentum index. There you go. Chris Harvey, Wells Fargo. Thank you. Kind of shooting from the hip here. Appreciate it. Guy, let's talk about this. I mean, um, Dan referenced the average drop in the S&P during the recession, I think is about 35%. I saw some data today that the average time the S&P goes down is 318 days. That's an average. Doesn't mean it's going to be shorter. That's the mid of the average, rather. We're day maybe 290 of the decline on the S&P 500. Does it feel like I'm not saying call a bottom, but does it feel like we're kind of getting close to closer to the end than the beginning? Well, I know there's an answer for that question. That was deep, by the way. And just let me address Dan quickly before I answer that. The fallout can be measured in the market. Yeah, it's not a big deal. 25 percent, 30 percent. What you can't measure in terms of the fallout of this reckless Fed is what's done to the lower and middle class who got screwed on the way in and are now getting royally screwed on the way out with inflation. They don't win here. Uh, the wealthy people win on both sides, number one. Number two, yeah, I'm not going to be one of these to call bottom. I think due it's a tradable level. And what we're seeing now is eerily reminiscent of what we saw in June. And I think this is one of those bear market bounces. But the math suggests, and the math being $200 worth of earnings, maybe 210 with a 15 or so multiple, that you know we're probably staring anywhere between 3200 and 3400 in the eyes in terms of the S&P 500. Guy, passion from Guy Doming. And, and by the way, true, it's a very inflation is the most regressive of taxes. All right, on deck, bank earnings are underway and they are shining some light on something we just talked about. That is the consumer. We'll hit it coming up. Plus, energy continuing to rip higher, adding to its yeah, relatively good year. But can you still count on these names to climb into year's end? We'll dig in when Fast Money returns. We're back in two. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your 
your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Are we dealing with issues all over the place? Absolutely. Are we dealing with a higher rate structure will drag the economy? That's what the Fed's trying to do. But right now, as you see the third quarter and the first part of October, it's, the consumer's hanging in there. That was Bank of America CEO Brian Moynihan on Power Lunch today after the company's better-than-expected earnings number, bank posting a 24% jump in net interest income. In the meantime, Goldman Sachs planning a reorg of its business into three divisions, one for trading and investment banking, another for wealth and asset management, one focused on corporate clients. Goldman's set to report their earnings tomorrow. Dan, your take on what we've seen and heard for the big banks so far. Yeah, I would just say this. I mean, we saw Morgan Stanley, the way it acted after its results on Friday, wasn't particularly great. I think that when we think about where, and Karen's been kind of identifying as, as Tim also, you know, this net interest margin was going to be a thing for these money center banks, but the investment banks have lots of challenges in all sorts of uh, parts of their business after record years in 2020 and 2021. So, um, you know, that stock wasn't particularly great on Friday. Goldman Sachs announced this reorg before the reporting earnings tomorrow morning. I have to suspect that there's going to be some probably issues in that more uh, you know, in the Goldman quarter if they're getting that news out um, ahead of time here, too. But again, I mean, these stocks are also probably well positioned to trade themselves out of the situation that we are in in 2022. If you think that we're going to have a better economy in the back half of 2023. So I probably am more interested in Morgan and Goldman than I would be in the money center banks if I'm thinking out to next year. I thought that Bank America quarter was fantastic. I mean, we talked about net interest income being great. It was phenomenal. But so many parts of their business were good. And also, so many parts that people thought would be terrible were lower, for sure. But, I mean, they did a really, I thought, incredible job. And it was actually even a little bit better than it looked. I thought Moynihan was really confident. I mean, it made J.P. Morgan's earnings really hmm. not look so great. It was, it was almost, it was almost a, you know, hold my beer, Jamie. Let me go do this <laughs> earnings call. It was really impressive. So good for them. The battle uh, the good hair. Yeah, they, they do. Both have good hair. And Gorman. Not that it's, that matters in any way. Because Solomon, <laughs> no, it's must be no stress in the job. But here's the thing. Okay, so agreed. So, Tim, but so agreed. The, the, the numbers looked good on every surface. This was a $50 stock in February. It's a $34 stock now. So the numbers were good, There's, but the market doesn't seem to care. So what we started to see going into bank numbers that actually some of the analyst community were already cutting. And, and so that was, you know, actually positive because Citibank was, was you know, UBS had cut it, and then suddenly it still leaves 50% upside. Bank of America, if you look at a couple of the numbers that came out today, people have a double on the stock. I would just, you know, Jamie Dimon versus Brian Moynihan, this was sunny skies versus cloudy skies. So, you know, the, the, the meteorology dynamics, he, he was so... Um, Sunny on the consumer and the dynamics that he's seeing and the net net interest income is something that I think money center banks will continue to have. The flip side of that is we saw that in a couple of the regional banks, the cost of deposits, the outflow of deposits. Charles Schwab reported today uh, they saw deposits down and and the, the competition from within banks is something we have yet to see. So there may be more net interest income, but the net interest margin may be coming down. This may be as good as it gets. And and, you know, Chase and J.P. Morgan and Bank of America and Wells Fargo, they're not really paying you for those deposits just yet. They're going to have to or they're going to compete and they're going to lose some of those deposits. Guy, quick comment on the banks. 
In February of 2018, M&T Bank, MTB, traded up to 194, fell off a cliff. Look at where we are now. So you either have a mother of all double tops in earnings on the 19th, or this is going to break out. But their earning growth is such that it might actually break to the upside. So some of these regional banks that we rarely talk about are actually doing extraordinarily well. Well said, Guy. Thank you. All right. There is a lot more fast to come. Here's what's coming up next. Pump it up. Energy drilling into even more gains as the group's spectacular year grinds on. But will the good times keep flowing? The details next. Plus, GDP pause. China delaying key economic data as growth concerns come into focus. So are there still opportunities abroad? The traders break it down next. You're watching Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We're back right after this. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. All right, welcome back. Despite OPEC's big production cut nearly two weeks ago, oil is actually lower than where it was after the meeting. This has production in Texas's Permian Basin hits a new high, though keep in mind that as a nation, we are still about a million barrels per day below 2019 highs, but the Permian is rocking. Energy stocks, same thing as the market today. They ran Baker Hughes, Devon, Halliburton, the biggest winners. But pretty much every stock was up anyway, Guy Adami. Still, energy's been the one place that's in the green. Overall, you, you and I have been talking about Schlumberger for years. It just seems to, I mean, the numbers are going to be big, but it, it, again, the market has not given it a lot of love in the past 12 months. It's kind of weird. Fair. Tim, no, listen, Tim's been on this. I'll say, well, first of all, Brian, you do a remarkable job in the space, and I mean that sincerely. I'll Thank say you. this, and we talked about it last week. We brought it up. Very quietly, the big three, ExxonMobil, Chevron, and ConocoPhillips, and now close to a trillion in market cap, are all within earshot of their not only 52-week high, their all-time high. And that's happening under the radar. And these levered names that you're talking about, if oil were just to stay here and go nowhere for the next six months, the setup for them, I still think it's extraordinarily good. I, I believe what's happened with a lot of these names, as the commodity got whacked, and Dan had a tremendous call in the spring, I think people sort of sold first, asked questions later with the underlying equities, thinking, here we go again. The problem is these are just better companies. They're better capitalized. They're better run. And quite frankly, they're probably better in terms of valuation. So I still like the space. And the free cash flow yields across the space, if you're an investor, are the, the, the important things. And the, the capital return and, and actually where their payout ratios are are extraordinary. So <laughs> I, anywhere from 12 to 15 percent for the biggest integrated oil companies. Uh, like a Conoco trades almost like an EMP company. But the, back to the OPEC cut and what Guy also mentioned about prices. We, we've averaged 100 $300, $405 a barrel already in 22. Most of these oil yep. companies are being valued at less than $70 oil. That's it. At some point, you're going to have to push these things higher. And I'll say this about that OPEC cut. And we all all know that they're not really going to cut two million. They're actually going to cut more likely down to you know quota levels they can actually make. It's probably 1.1. 
OPEC's not proactive. Folks, this is the first time that they've actually been proactive. They're usually very reactive. And I actually think you have a dynamic that they will be proactive in the future. They want oil prices higher. And, and if you look at inventories around the world, we haven't been this low on inventories around the world since the 80s. And by the way, so it's not just this is oil. why oil's staying here and going higher, why energy's prices. It's, and it's not just oil. It's distillates. All these things we make with oil, inventories at 30, 40, 50 year lows. I'm going to bore myself. I'm boring myself already, Karen, because I've asked for this graphic 100 Boy, times. I'm going to ask man. it again. But I think Tim's making a really important point. Guys, if we could throw up maybe like a five or 10 year chart of oil against the XLE or the XOP or the OIH, one of these big ETFs. To Tim's point, Karen, where these stocks are trading is when oil was at like at 50 bucks, right? right? The last time that oil was at this price level, some of these ETFs were at $1,000. They're now at 250 but maybe that's ESG. Maybe that's nobody. Nobody cares. I think it's maybe the people. All right, it's, it's peaking now. This is somewhat temporary. We'll see how the Russia thing. We've evolves. seen it before. Right. We've seen it before. Sort of remember peak autos. Autos just stood there for a long, long time. I don't know. It's, I mean, I'm long the OIH because I think oil doesn't need to go up. Can even go down a little as long as it doesn't. The, but the last time the last time crude oil was at this price, the OIH was at $1,000 a where, share. Where was the dollar? I mean, throw, That's if, true. If That's they, which throw is an even the dollar versus crude, because the last time the dollar rallied like this, crude sold off 65%. So that's Polish oil, right? Is that your point? Well, what, what I'm saying is well, if, should that if hit the, the dollar stocks, stays though? bid for any reason, a whole host of reasons on the macro level that none of us, again, are probably, you know, like smart enough to figure out, then, I mean, ultimately, that, that's a tax on everywhere outside the U.S., right? We'll see slower growth, maybe less demand, throw in the ESG stuff. Maybe it's peak oil, guys. But we're, we've been at peak. But should that impact I, I, But we've been at peak dollar, and the fact that oil prices have hung in there is extraordinary. I think if you get any weakness in the dollar, oil goes to the yeah, roof. Yeah, but we know and, why oil's hung in there, because the supply-demand dynamics, the weirdness coming that's out not of the pandemic, change. what's happened in Ukraine. I mean, there's, there's, the, this is true, but I, but I think, and yeah, I know we got to go, but I changes. think the point I was trying to make is that we've already seen this dislocation between yeah. the price of oil and the price of the stocks. To your point, yes, the currency is going to impact the commodity, but the stocks are acting like oils. They have to gone. bring up, uh, they have to bring up their target prices because oil prices are now averaging 105 bucks on the year and they're going to have to make at least their 23 level that much higher than they already had it. So part of this is just the math of where we are on the calendar. And buybacks. I mean, you would think, right? They should just be. What else are they going to do with their money? What else are they going to do with their money? The balance is in much better shape. Yeah, they got it. Yeah. That's that's the point, though. They didn't do this before, and they're run differently, and and that's the mandate. They got to give the money back, buybacks, because the government likes that. They want the oil companies to. Oh, wait. I'm sorry. (laughs) It's the wrong show. All right, coming up. GDP postponed. China delaying the release of some key economic data. So is the country's slowdown maybe worse than we thought? Talk about that coming up. And forget cooking at home. Restaurant stocks seeing some of the biggest moves higher in the past week. Unconfirmed reports of Gayadami and family at a sizzler in Parsippany. Wow. We're going to confirm that and talk restaurant stocks coming up. Fuddruckers after the break. Easy, easy. All right, welcome back. Another check on the market stocks ripping higher to kick off their week. If you're just joining us here on CNBC, maybe waking up in Guam, good morning. The Dow jumping more than 550 points. The S&B surging more than 2.5%. The NASDAQ leading the charge up nearly 3.5%. By the way, the NASDAQ's best single day 
since all the way back in July. Tesla and Amazon seeing their best days also since July. And discretionary names like Caesars Entertainment, Etsy, and Expedia also seeing outsized gains. All right, moving on. China abruptly delaying the release of its latest gross domestic product report with just one day's notice for the market. It's a highly unusual move. It comes during one of the most important meetings on China's political calendar. That is the Communist Party Congress, which happens every five years. President Xi expected to win an unprecedented third term as the country's leader. Here now to break down what this means for the markets and more, CNBC contributor Fred Kemp. He is the president and CEO of the Atlantic Council. I know the polls had Xi just barely ahead, Fred. I mean, it was, it was, a, it was a hotly contested race. Uh, but I think she is going to pull it out by the slimmest of margin. How surprised are you, sarcasm aside, uh, by what's probably going to be a lifetime appointment as president? Well, you can't be surprised by the appointment. But what's interesting uh, to watch is the appointments around him. Uh, in a democratic political process, he would have a problem right now. His, his zero COVID policy hasn't worked. His economy's been slowing down. Um, uh, he, his uh, aggressive policy internationally hasn't worked, it's backfired, and it's cracked down on private sector and, and, and particularly technology companies has also fed the slowdown. And then his embracing of Vladimir Putin, that's got to not be very popular among the party faithful as well, but he's got total control. He is a, a one-man band here, and uh, and so he will get a third term, but he'll get a third term under much more difficult economic uh, situation than when he came in. I'm trying to understand Fred, and please help us understand what's going on over there. Okay, I mean, just today didn't get any attention. It should have. Chinese government told that the you know, Sinopec and Sinook that they are not allowed to sell liquefied natural gas. They have to keep it all. They were reselling it to Europe. That's terrible news for Europe, by the way. Uh, they're COVID zero. It doesn't seem to be working except to crush the economy. Uh, and they seem to be just becoming more insular at a time when they were supposed to be more open and welcoming of Western capital. What's the goal here? I, I, nothing seems to make sense unless they just want to be their own economy, maybe with a little tie to Russia, uh, maybe a little tie over here to India, and that's it? Well, they, they want to be successful economically, but it's not as important to President Xi Jinping as being ideologically pure. Uh, we have some trouble, I'm sure I'll have seen BC viewers will have trouble thinking that a, a leader of our times is serious about Marxism-Leninism, but he is. If you look back to the 1970s, Deng Xiaoping talked about how theory had to go out the window and that they had to be more pragmatic. He said that in a 1981 party speech. Uh, now what you're seeing is uh, President Xi has put theory back into practice again. And so the, ideal, the ideology is important. He's moved politics and he's moved the economy to the Marxist and the Leninist uh, left. And he's moved his national policy and his national security to the nationalist right. And so you see a whole new form of government, let's call it Marxist nationalism. And that's what we're seeing unfold in front of us. And what comes with that is much more control over uh, his, uh, certainly over foreign access to his market, but also over private sector in his market. So we've seen a reduction of foreign investment as a share of GDP to 20, 21% last year from 30% uh, 10 years ago. And, and that probably will continue to decline. 
Hey, Fred, it's Tim. So that's where I wanted to go with this. The private companies at the expense of the state companies, by any measure, state-run companies anywhere in the world are inefficient and, and not the innovators. And yet China is looking to compete in the 20th, 21st century, excuse me, on, on everything from uh, cyber to the Internet to nanotechnology. How, how do you reconcile this? But I guess the question is, are we ever going to get to a place where the Chinese government recognizes they need to pull back and let the private enterprise flourish in China, even if it's not U.S. companies? Uh, so we've been looking at this at the Atlantic Council with Rhodium Group. Uh, and a lot of people were watching his speech, uh, President Xi's speech yesterday, two-hour speech, to see if there were any signs that he would move things back into a reformist direction, because certainly that's what foreign investors are telling him, and that's what his own uh, economy is telling him. The IMF says that your state companies, at best, are 80% as productive as a private company. Uh, uh, for the last 10 years, uh, they have increased zero. They have increased productivity in China 0.6% per year. The previous uh, decade, it was three times as much. So productivity is not growing. But in this new ideological approach uh, to the world, um, they think they can get enough economy. They can get enough efficiency. They can get enough growth. They have to control their technology, their own technology more, and not depend as much on outside technology. And if that, if yeah. the trade-off is more social and political control for a little bit less growth, I think it's a risk that President Xi at the moment seems willing to take. Just unbelievable. Fred Kemp, the Atlantic Council. Thank you very much, Fred. Appreciate that. Karen, is China uninvestable? I think so. It's becoming that so. way. Yeah, I, I, because, I mean, I, there are many people who thought that this would be the pivot here, right? Once he's in, maybe. Once that, he has the power, right. he Once should Once he has the power, up. then he can do all the things that we're working. He might. Be we don't know. Well. I thought the, the lack of data was very interesting. Why didn't they just, instead of delaying that important data, why didn't they just make it up and have it be Which is what they positive? Do. Right. That was interesting to me. And they're doubling down on their COVID zero policy. Which I mean, is it's surprising just, Which, too. by the way, is probably why natural gas has dropped every day for the last couple of weeks and is at the lowest level in a couple of years. All right, coming up. Looks like the gains are back on the menu. Restaurant stocks heating up lately. So what stock should you look at in the restaurant space? If any, we'll talk about it. And a huge day for Roblox. Shares surging after some big user growth data. We'll talk about Roblox and restaurants, but not together, because that would be gross and weird. We're back right after this. Hey, welcome back. Some big moves in restaurant stocks over the past week. You got Brinker, BJ's, Cracker Barrel, and more, all with big gains. Pippa Stevens has the details on these moves. Pippa doesn't sound like there's a lot of recession fears in the restaurants right now. Yeah, that's right, Brian. We've seen outperformance from the full-service restaurants specifically. That's names like Bloomin' Brands, Texas Roadhouse, Cheesecake Factory, BJ's, and Brinker International, all advanced during today's session and are solidly higher over the last week with BJ's leading those gains. Now, Jeffries' Andy Barish said the recent strength stems in part from investors betting the worst of surging input costs is now behind us. Commodity prices, which have been a major headwind for the restaurant industry, have started to ease. Last quarter, beef and pork prices declined year over year, according to data from Bernstein. Now, coffee, milk, wheat and cheese are still elevated compared to 2021, but they've also started to trend lower. And company-owned restaurants like the full-service names 
are more susceptible to high commodity prices since they have to absorb all of those costs. But looking forward, Bearish said things are shaping up to be noticeably better in the fourth quarter and into next year. But of course, Brian, recession fear, it's always a wild card there. They certainly have been, but uh, right now, trading pretty well. Pippa Stevens, thank you very much. Guy Adami, weird space. I mean, everybody's calling for recession. and uh, I don't know if you go out, Sizzler or whatever it might be, restaurants are packed. What did you mention, the Roadhouse or something in Parsippany that I was spotted at? They're remaking it, by the way. Great movie. Gyllenhaal, can you believe that? Offensive. No, I'm saying... You know what I'm talking about. Everyone's saying if the consumer's going to go, yeah, aren't restaurants going to go first? Isn't that the first thing with travel that gets cut? Yeah, except that some of these restaurants are actually suited for the environment that we find ourselves in, I think. And look, McDonald's reports on the 27th. They traded 22 times next year's numbers, which historically for them is actually pretty reasonable, I would submit, although higher than a market multiple. I think names like McDonald's and, dare I say, a Chipotle Mexican grill that sold off some $200 over the last couple of weeks into their earnings, I think, on the 25th. Both look pretty interesting to me. So you're right, but there are certain places that actually do extraordinarily well in this environment. Karen? Well, you know, if you're listening to, like, a Kroger and whoever, they're saying biz- their business is good, it seemed to me, at the expense of some of these restaurants. So between, you know, the inflation, although people address that some of the food costs are coming down, the labor issue is still there. So I don't know. I have no exposure to the space. Dan, any take on restaurants? Well, I just think what's interesting about this story and listening to Pippa about that, it really lines up with what Moynihan is saying at Bank America about the consumer, right? And so for the here and now, it's a pretty decent litmus test, I think, if you're looking at what they're saying about um, the consumer and deposits and, and, and the health of the consumer. I guess your point is just a good one, is that, again, you know, if we're going to see, look at the way some of the travel stocks act. They act like we are going in a recession. So I guess if you look at them and take it at face value, then you'd say these are, are, are next. Look at a Darden, the relative strength that it has shown over the last couple of months as the market's been careening lower from that August high tells you that something is going on with these names. At least investors think that they're cheap and they look cheap, I think. Yeah, I, I would just say that the market hasn't given these stocks a chance to really ride into this sweet spot of what might become you know, commodity prices coming down at a consumer has money because these stocks have been proven or guilty until proven innocent. Yeah. And I think that's the dynamic. I, I know guy likes Chipotle. I've been so wrong in this stock for years. Uh, I look at this multiple. There's no way to me they can trade at this multiple in this environment. So, I mean, at least on a relative value basis, uh, I, I just I don't see a 40 plus multiple on a company that has been phenomenally well run. Their loyalty business, everything about what they've yeah. done in terms of the quality of that menu. Um, seller. There you go. All right, well, if the gains continue, you have to change the name to Green Lobster, I think. Yeah. Okay. No? I, uh, See, I just uh, don't even know I why, why I dragged myself into the city for this stuff. <laughs> it's like a six-hour round trip. All right, coming up, it's game on for Roblox. Shares jumping nearly 20% as it gets more players logging on. The growth numbers behind today's move and what's been a tough stock. And it's been a rough year as well for Netflix. But with the recent ad tier announcement, could tomorrow's results spur a turnaround for the streamer? We'll talk about that coming up. Shares of Roblox soaring 20% for the stock's best day of the year. The company reporting a 23% increase in daily active users this September versus last year. Stock's still down, though, about 65% from its highs. 
Dan, short covering rally or something more meaningful? Well, I think it's the first piece of decent news. Like, think about a lot of these companies. This stock is down more than you know 50% just this year alone, down more from its all-time highs. And you have a lot of people bared up on a story that people were extremely excited about just a year, year and a half ago. You get one piece of news like this, especially before earnings, and, and shorts have to cover, and they start tripping over each other. And people are also looking for beta, right? And you get a rally like this going today. You hope that maybe the, the rally in the S&P or the NASDAQ can go temporary. A stock like this should do 2, 3x that. So I think that's a bit of what's going on here today. All right. Meantime, Netflix also having a nice day. The streaming stock jumping more than 7%. Netflix reporting earnings after the bell tomorrow. And options traders are betting on even more gains ahead. Mike Koch joining us now with the options action. Yeah, Netflix options right now implying a move of about 12%. That's in line with the moves that we've seen over the last eight quarters. However, some traders are betting on a much larger move. The busiest contract were the October 300 calls. We saw over 8,600 of those trade. We're just over $1.34 a contract. Buyers of those calls are betting that Netflix could move more than 20% to the upside by the end of the week. A move of that magnitude hasn't been posted by the stock following earnings since October of 2016. Brian? Mike, thank you. And as always, for more options action, tune in the full show Fridays at 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. Karen, yes, Netflix. I am long Netflix. Okay. Um, very interested to see the ad-supported business. Um, you know, everyone's looking for, I think, a million user, additional user sub- subscribers. I don't know if that so much matters this time. I feel like this transition in the business is really important, and it's not just a one-quarter thing. So I am long going in. About as cheap as it's been, although with that brief yeah, summer. around 21 times uh, forward. So, you know, certainly attractive value territory relative to itself. I'm long as well. And I do think that the commentary is no longer about subcontraction. I think it's going to be about traction in these two new areas, both ad supported and then the password dynamics, which we haven't really heard a lot about. So um, in this tape, I think she goes higher. All right. Up next, it is your final trades. Guy Adami, kick us off, please. Brian, Brian, it was great to have you here today. I'm glad you still believe in me. McDonald's, MCD. Tim? Pet sounds are everywhere. And, and so are green lobsters, by the way. And, and I'll just rehash the energy story very quickly. Energy weighting in the S&P is around 4%. It could be 16% if you go back to 2008. ConocoPhillips, big cash payout level and free cash flow that I think is going to get better this year. Karen? Yes. So rally today back above 100. I like Alphabet going into earnings. I think the bar is much lower. The valuation now, if you back out the cash, is under 17. Mr. Nate. Yeah, this is a guy, Nami picked Johnson and Johnson. We call it Johnny John. Um, it's a valuation. Who calls it that? Well, we do. That's a sub shop. We've been calling it that for a long time. Um, yeah, I think that one looks okay. It looks ready to pop. All right. Hey, I'll be back tomorrow. Thanks. All right. Yeah, you will. I hope. With the joke book. Mad with Jim Cramer starts right now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.